Whoa. All Welcome right. back to our Warpath podcast with your host, me, Joe Rigi. Today we got on our podcast, Father Waltz. Father, how are you doing? I'm good. We had, we had an interesting uh, few minutes already. We've been trying to set up Zoom. It was, not, <laughs> it was not going according to plan. Uh, so we spent about what? Well, 40, nine o'clock, 40, almost 45 minutes. Almost 40 minutes. I've, I'm now convinced, Father, Nee. I think he's convinced now he's got to update to a new Mac. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll send you a new Mac or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe somebody but, watching the podcast wants to donate one. If anyone wants to donate, you know, be my guest. Uh, <laughs> Father would love to use a new one. But, uh, yeah, so glad to have you on the podcast finally. Uh, we set that up. So... So how's it, how's everything going? Uh, good. We're in the midst of a blizzard. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, no, I did not. We got, we got almost two feet on the ground right now. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's April. So. And you're in North, you're in North Dakota, right? Yeah. They always said the joke is if you don't like the weather, just wait a half hour. <laughs> changes, that, changes that quickly. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So I, someone, sent me a friend of mine sent me a video of yours uh it was a conference you were giving or maybe it was a retreat but Mm -hmm. set fire set set the world on fire one of those conferences so i was watching that and it definitely struck a note which is why i reached out as soon as i could to see if i could get you in the podcast so i'm glad you're on the podcast with us or with me uh so as far as lent is going right now how are you doing with Lent? Because uh, we're going to dive into that topic. I know Lent these days is pretty difficult. We are living in 2022, so Catholics, um, honestly, a lot of Catholics I don't think are doing too much. But here at a Warpath, we're trying to do, you know, trying to push people to kind of have an extreme and very intense Lent. Yeah, yeah. My, I, so my my brother's a Catholic priest too. <clears throat> um, and we kind of like push each other when we get to Lent. Lent's our kind of our, 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 our go time. We call it the Waltz curse because <clears throat> either we're all in or we're all out. Like there's no middle ground. It's 150% yep. this way or that way. And <clears throat> my, uh, got my, one of my friends calls it extreme living. He's a father Shane demon. He's a priest down in Sioux city. Got another, pa- another buddy. He calls it parachute day. Every day is parachute day with the Waltz brothers. Means <clears throat> they're always, they're like, every day getting ready to jump out of a plane you're like you got your parachute on and they're like i don't know just jump you know just do it <laughs> dive so, in the deep yeah so we uh we pretty much give up happiness from a worldly standpoint mm-hmm. so you know no booze no i mean we go on a like a heavy heavy like keto diet so so a, no deep, a pretty good detox huh yeah it's it that's exactly what it is and <clears throat> You know, I don't, obviously you lose weight. That's not the purpose of Lent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it's just like, I, I love, I'm an extreme extrovert. I love to hang out, <clears throat> uh, love to be around people. And so like when Lent hits, I just shut all of that down. Yeah. Um, and and I, I pray more. I got my private chapel in the rectory. You know, I try to get in like two, three holy hours a day if I can. <clears throat> um yeah, so just pretty, a lot, pretty intense lot, then. 
yeah, I spend a lot more time with Jesus and a lot less time with uh, people, unless it's pastoral stuff. You know, as a priest, we got to yeah. do that. But, um, I don't go over to anybody's house. It's kind of funny, too, because, like, <clears throat> it, it, if it's during Lent and somebody's like, hey, Father, we want to have you over. I'm like, oh, you know, it's during, it's Lent. I, I kind of gave that up. And they're like, oh, that's that's awesome, man. Like, great penance. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do that outside of Lent. You know, people are like, hey, you want to come over? Like, no, I don't really want to be around you. And they're like, well, you're just a jerk, you know? <laughs> so I hate Lent, it. Lent's a great excuse. It gives to, you uh, good excuses. Right. I honestly think, like, if I just lived Lent my entire life, uh, I would be a better person. <clears throat> but Probably, honestly, I think that's a good point. I think <clears throat> a lot of times we give up things. You know, Lent comes around, you're like, you know what, I'm going to give up this. And it's because you probably have an overindulgence in whatever you're giving up right. so but then after lent is done we go back to it We're like well we only had to give it up for lent one probably we should keep giving it up at least a lot of the things that we do and or at least keep it, at least keep it in check like i you know one of the yeah. i don't know where i heard this but it was a story about a <clears throat> an exorcist he was talking to the maybe you heard this story but he was talking to the demon and he he was like the demon was freaking out especially this time and he's like why are you so you know pissed off and he's like well it's lent and i hate lent and he's like why do you hate lent and he's like because during lent christians behave like they're always supposed to behave huh. that's kind of funny like, that kind of rings in my head man like i can't get that out like i should i should be living it more intentionally every yeah day. Maybe not as heavy as, as it is during Lent, but just much more intentionally. Yeah, we're doing, uh, right now, Warpath's doing this 40-day forge, which is supposed to be, we try to make it in a way, of course, like everyone can adapt it, but we try to make it in a way where it's not sustainable after the 40 days. So we have like a 4.30 a.m. wake up, which is kind of brutal. Um, and like a lot of people are adapting it, obviously, because you can't be falling asleep during your job or whatever it may be, but still, yeah, you kind of, the word you use intentional. And that's something that we spoke about uh, myself and a couple others, especially during Lent. Like, why are you taking a cold shower or why are you eating the way you're eating? Like you said, losing weight when you're doing certain things, that's secondary, right. but what are your intentions going into it? And I think a lot of times people are making sacrifices during Lent but they're they're totally unintentional and they're not making sure like I'm offering this up so that I can do this or that so that this will help me with that so I think that's a very important aspect of it um just kind of making sure you're doing everything properly and for a good reason I think that's you know like when I was explaining this to a a guy in the parish because he's you know he's talking about you know, being in the spiritual battle. And, and he's like, I just don't know what that means. And I'm like, well, a lot of it is just like you fighting your ego, like yeah. <clears throat> you moving against yourself and those tendencies in yourself where you know, you're weak and to do something against that, you know, and Ignatius talks about that all the time. <clears throat> he's, he talks about moving against those things that are keeping us from Christ. And I, I think Lent is just a really intentional time of doing that. And quite mm-hmm. honestly, like, I think it's, it's a total reset. Like I just, I love the church's calendar. I don't know where I read it, but they said, you know, if you live according to the church's calendar, it would be like the healthiest style, like lifestyle you could live. Like you feast when you're, when it's time to feast, you fast when it's time to fast. Um, you know, like Wednesdays, and Fridays, and then 
yeah and everything else is just very ordered you know mm -hmm. so i don't know you know trying to kind of move with the rhythms of the church could be a really healthy lifestyle <laughs> yeah it's, it's set up so well like the liturgical year and a few weeks ago like well in march you know saint joseph's feast day someone was like yeah i don't know if we should be if i should be you know it's lent and i'm like people are literally taking polls on social media should we celebrate today it's during lent and i'm thinking right. to myself everything the church has done she's done purposely and very intentionally you're supposed to celebrate on certain days. There's days throughout Lent where they're kind of like days of rent, days of rest. And the church wants you to be able to kind of, you know, take a short break because she knows we're human and we're going to do something stupid eventually if we don't have a little break. <laughs> That's just how it works. So I think that is really key, just understanding and following the liturgical year like that. And oftentimes people they always have those regrets after Lent. I'm sure you get this from people all the time because you, you do do conferences and you hear confessions and things like that. But after Lent, if they haven't lived a good Lent, they feel like, okay, well, next Lent I'm going to do really well. They do feel that regret, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I've noticed too is like, so I'm a huge, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Jesuit, right? Obviously I'm a, I'm a parish priest, but I love Ignatius of Loyola. And like, I love how he set up, um, the Jesuits, I love the spiritual exercises. And even that, like I've done two 30 day silent retreats. <clears throat> and even in the 30 day silent retreat, he has built into that these things called day of repose, where you actually take a break. Because he knows like, I mean, 30 straight days of silence. Intense. You know, I mean, we're, we're meant for relationship, we're meant for communication. And so you need yeah. those breaks. And you got to trust that because I remember even like the first one I did, I'm like, I don't need that stupid day of repose like i'm tougher than that and my director's like shut up like take it you know trust you don't know what you're talking about yeah trust the saint i think he knew more than you did and uh and it became very fruitful <clears throat> so yeah you don't have to be holier than the church that's for sure so 230 days huh yeah yeah that's pretty intense i think the longest i did was 10 <laughs> yeah the the 30 day, the first one I did was just, like, I mean, it got to a point, I think it was like day 12 and I thought I was going to lose my mind because you get to like day 12 and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm still not halfway there. Yeah. yeah. And, you're and not I'm, even. Yeah. I'm not even at the halfway mark and I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. And then my direct, my, my director's like, I just want you to go out. Cause there are these woods where I was at. He's like, just go into the forest go for a run or a walk or whatever you want to do and just like scream and talk and yell and get it all out of you and then come back. And I thought it was the dumbest thing, but like when I, <laughs> I did it, when I came back, like I just, that was it, man. I just went deep. And once you're in that zone, like once you get into the, the real communion uh, with the Holy spirit, it just, yeah. It's not, it's like nothing ever anybody's ever experienced before. Like, yeah. You do get in a rhythm. Obviously I haven't had the courage to do 30 days. I don't know. If, I don't even know if there's the 30 day one for lay people. I think um, anybody can do it. You know? I guess you could just do it. But I, we, I remember did, doing the 10 day or, you know, even in school, sometimes I think we did like a five day, but you know, day one, you're kind of into it. And then you kind of are like, gosh, this is kind of difficult. <laughs> right. I, I remember also just everything starts making you, you kind of do get a little bit distracted a little bit ways in 
um, you know, because you're in silence. So now you're kind of like communicating with just like you see something that's not even that funny and you start laughing. I don't know, just random things like that. But I remember on my 10 day, you, I did get into like a rhythm where, you know, we had already reached the halfway mark and you're, you, like you said, you've kind of just dove in deep and you're just going and you can do it really well. So it, it's pretty interesting how it works, but um, yeah, I guess oh, also spiritual directors know how, know what to do as well. Right. Cause I remember mine was very good at kind of pointing me in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I remember I made a huge, huge mistake when I, my first one, I came back and the first thing I did is one of my good buddies from high school was getting married. <clears throat> and so I got off my 30 day, I drove back like 12 hours in silence, just living the dream summer. And then I got back and the first thing I did was went to a wedding dance. And if, if you've been 30 days in the peace and quiet of the woods, and yeah. the first thing you do is go to a wedding dance, man. It was like, I thought I was going to die. It's like <laughs> sensory overload. It was crazy. And then I started, <laughs> I had all these buddies there and I'm like, I just want to tell them all about Jesus. Like what I experienced, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, man. I was like, yeah, it was 30 days. I was in silence. Like, what'd you do? And I'm like, it's like, I was just talking to Jesus. And they're like, right. Okay. Like this he's crazy yeah like i thought i, I, know I had the I, I thought i was evangelizing the heck out of these guys we we left and my brother he's walking with me and he's he's kind of laughing I'm like what are you laughing at he's like you know they think you're crazy right and i'm, I'm like what do you mean he's like you know they think you're just talking to yourself on these retreats that you go on and he's right because most people have never had the experience yeah of what it's like to encounter god and so they, yeah, at best, they're like, okay, he's just talking with himself for 30 days. Which yeah, is sad. It stinks. But a lot of people don't understand what a retreat is. Catholic yeah. or not, like, one of my roommates asked me, he's like, oh, so what, do you, what did you guys do? Like, whether it was at school and stuff. Well, sometimes we have retreats where we kind of, um, you know, have time to pray and talk. We really just spend time with God, more or less, but it's in silence. And he's like, what do you mean it's in silence you don't talk at all for a few days i'm like yeah you're just in silence he's like i don't get it i'm like uh how do i explain this to you without sounding like you, i you should be in it. like some prison you know <laughs> right. an, an insane asylum so he was quite taken off like he was like what the heck so but i i kind of explained it in a way that made sense for him and he's like okay that makes sense uh but still like at first they do kind of think you're crazy and you know i only been on a few days i can only imagine telling someone that you were in silence for 30 days they must must have been giving you a little bit of odd looks and stuff well and then um, i don't know if you, have you ever seen that movie uh into the great silence oh no i haven't it's about it's like a three hour if you're gonna watch it i i suggest you watch it in parts because it's all silent it's good it's amazing but they like it's all about the Carthusians, right? Which are like the hardest of the hardcores in the, in the area of monastic orders. <clears throat> and they, the story that I heard is when they originally went, they, this German crew was like, Hey, we want to film these guys. And so they called up the Abbot and they're like, Hey, can we come and do a documentary? And he's like, the Abbot's like, we got to pray about it. We'll get back to you. Okay. 13 years later, <laughs> they called and they're like, okay, we discerned it's time uh, for the documentary. So, <laughs> German film crew comes up, they film them, <clears throat> and 
they get done with the documentary and they're like doing this big, I don't know, like it was, you know, like a, a world premiere sort of show or whatever. And they were like, everybody's like, tell us about these guys, you know, up in the mountains are these weird guys that never talk. Like when they pass each other in the hallway, they say, remember your death. Like that's all they ever say to each other. And they sleep on straw and they, you know, people are like they eat dirt, you know, and, and, yeah. and all this crazy stuff. And like the, the German film crew that was, it was, it was so amazing. They're like, yeah, the most amazing thing that we encountered was that these guys were the most joyful, enjoyable, loving, compassionate men we've ever met in our lives. And everybody was like, what? Like, no, like the whole, you know, the whole secular world is like that. How is that possible? Like, yeah, it's a bunch of guys that never talked to each other. And like, they were saying, well, you know, their joy radiates from the encounter that they have from, yeah. from Jesus. And, and they're trying to be, you know, living vessels of Jesus himself. And that's what he's like. They're just the most enjoyable men we've ever met. So it's kind of cool. You know, you think that that hardcore and yet they're the ones that have they're the, the happy ones. Yeah. Bizarre. It's, it's, it's incredible to see. And I think we often don't, Catholics really don't comprehend that you do. I mean, you work with young adults as well. So you understand that a lot of young adults think they're too cool for the faith mm -hmm. or it, you know, you can't really be hang out with the guys if you're like, right. you know, really into your faith. Cause I think that's weird. And the more you dive into your faith, the more of your faith you become, that's exactly how it is. You, become more more normal in a sense and you become more happy and uh authentic people want people want to be around you yeah authentic like if i if i reflect on people i know in my life that are really living their faith those are the people that i love to be around they're so great to be around because they know how to have fun but they also know how to have fun in a way that's not going to take away from your faith you know mm -hmm. like it's not fun to get drunk like yeah, let's go out and get drunk. It's like, well, no, it's not that fun anymore. Like once you understand that. So I think kind of getting people to understand that is the most difficult part, especially when you're dealing with young adults. Again, I know you've worked with a lot of young adults and probably still do that as you are a parish priest. So what is kind of your way of getting that idea through them of the more kind of obsessed we become with our faith, the happier we become, the more we're able to kind of enjoy the faith and enjoy our life. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, the technique that I use in, in talks or when I teach is when I, I kind of start out and I'm talking about living the faith. I'm like, my, my line is kind of came to me one time I was, when I was speaking, I'm like, you don't, you don't see what I see. <clears throat> That's the line I always give to these guys. Say what you see is you see everybody being an idiot and having a great time and that somehow evil has to be part of your life in, in order for you to have fun. Yeah. But you don't see what I see. See, what, what you see is everybody messing around on their phones and making funny TikTok videos and making fun of each other. But what I see is a young, a young girl in my office who's bawling her eyes out because she's been bullied so bad that she wants to kill herself. You don't yeah. see that. I see that. I say, you know, like, you don't see this. You don't, you don't, everybody's looking at porn and says it's so much fun. And they're saying all these stupid videos and sexting with each other. That's what you see. 
What you don't see is what I see. And that's when you have a, a, a young man who, who can't even be aroused by women anymore, real women, because he's so addicted to pornography. You don't see that. I see that. And I keep, you know, it just keeps building and building. To yeah. the, the, the last one I get to is I'm like, you know, all you see is contraception being passed around and Planned Parenthood telling you sex is great before marriage, have a lot of fun, sleep with as many guys as you can because you're free and you don't need the shackles of religion. That's what you see. What you don't see is people that do have abortions. I do see that. I get to meet with them. You don't. I do. And I get to watch them ball and cry and want to kill themselves because they murdered their own child. You don't see that. I see it. What else you don't see? You don't see young, young women who had promising careers that get abortions that then are possessed by the devil. Like I have been in an exorcism and the one exorcism I was in, I was fully a part of. It was caused because a young woman was forced into a sexual act when she was at college and then she was forced to get an abortion. That was the root cause of her possession. You don't see that. What you yeah. see is everybody having a fun time at the frat party and getting drunk and dancing. You don't see the people that have been roofied. You don't see the people that have been, you know, sexually molested. You don't see any of that. That's because the world is feeding you a lie. Man. And the lie is, is that in order to have fun, you have to have evil involved. And that's just, a, it's a straight up lie. And I said, I'm living proof of it. I have more fun than all of you, I bet. And all of you are probably envious of how much fun I have. And what's the difference between my fun and your fun? My fun lasts. Yours is for a moment. And then it's gone and you need it more and you need it again and again and again. You know what we call that? We call that addiction. And that's what's going to happen to everybody in this room. You're either going to become addicts or you're going to sadly settle for mediocrity. Very few of you are going to reach high. Very few of you are going to shoot for greatness because greatness demands sacrifice. And all of you are too selfish to do it. And I'm telling you, at the end of this, at the end of this, it's like I'll, you can hear a pin drop because oh, they, they all know it. They all know it. Yeah, and they only... Th we only see those external happiness of people. It's not happiness at all. Well, and it's a, it's a lie. It's a fabricated lie. And, and, and one of the things, so I get done with this talk, and I'm talking with this group of, they're eighth graders, okay? And after the talk is over, everybody's leaving about seven, six or seven young girls stick behind. And they're talking to me, and they're like, we want to be good. But it's, there's so much of this around us, and we don't know how to navigate it, right? And I'm like, and we got talking, I'm like, what's, what's so hard? And they're like, well, you know, just even relationships. These are eighth graders, okay? They're talking about relationships, and they're like, most of the guys that we're with are just like, either we have to sleep with them, or they'll break up with us. And I'm like, then break up with them. And they're like, yeah, but like, you know, we usually... One, we, we make the first move, you know, like we'll ask them out. And I'm like, you what? I'm like, you're the girl. You asked them out. And they're like, yeah. And then and then we got into these girls are like, yeah. And then, you know, like they're always asking us for pictures, like text us pictures. And I'm like, like what? Like naked pictures? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what they're asking for most of the time. And I'm like, how often in a week do you get do you get asked? Or I mean, how often do you get asked? And they'd say once or twice a week. And I'm like. Insane. I'm like once or twice. These are eighth graders once or twice yeah. a week. I'm like, what is if that's happening in eighth grade? What's happening in junior in high school? What's happening to seniors in college? Yeah, I mean, we are we are we are seeing the systematic dismantling of the moral fabric of America.
Like it is coming unraveled. And as it comes unraveled, you're just seeing more and more depression. Like I, <clears throat> there was this article I just read, these two articles. This is kind of my Holy Thursday homily, so spoiler alert. <clears throat> but um, the first article was um, that the, the life expectancy in America for the third year in a row is decreasing. Okay, now that, that, that's incredible because America has the greatest medical technology that the world's ever seen. We can, we yeah. can cure everything and anything, but our life expectancy is going down. The article goes on to say the reason it's going down is not because of cancer, not because of heart issues or diabetes or anything. It's going down because of what they're called death by despair. Okay. Deaths by despair are suicides, drug addiction or drug overdose, drug related fatalities and liver cirrhosis. Okay. So liver cirrhosis for anybody's watching, it doesn't, that would be from literally drinking yourself to death. Okay. That's what most of it comes from. So that, so the life expectancy is going down. Now, this second article for the first time ever in America, the, the number of Protestants and Catholics, okay, is equal to the number of the nuns, right? Not the N-U-N-S, the N-O-N-E-S, right? They don't yeah. have any religious affiliation. So for the first time ever, they're equal. It used to be overwhelmingly Christian, right? Mm -hmm. America was overwhelmingly Christian. Now it's 50-50. Now, what the author doesn't do, what I would like to try to do is make the correlation between those two. That the fact that the life expectancy is going down because of deaths by despair is because the nuns are growing. And the reason yeah. the nuns are dying is because they have no meaning. And when you have no meaning as a human being, you have no reason to live. And what you try to do is constantly escape from reality. Did you know the number one, that just, just happened this year, the number one killer of 18 to 24 year olds is fentanyl overdose. That's the number one killer of that, that age group. And the number one killer of 24 to 34 year olds is liver cirrhosis. So we have 18 to 24 year olds that are killing themselves by drug overdose. We have 24 to 34 year olds that are killing themselves by drinking their, their entire generation is drinking themselves to death. So 18, to 34. And that just so happens to be the bulk of the nuns. Mm -hmm. You tell me what's more dangerous for the human being, not having God or having God. It's killing us. It's, it's, yeah. So like that's my if that was a really long answer to a short question but but it was a good answer yeah that's that's how i address when i talk to them i try to show that to them and then explain through my experience how christ has enhanced my life not ruined it because i always thought like living for jesus like you said living for jesus would ruin my life like somehow he'd ruin my good time when it's it's the complete opposite he yeah. enhances, he enhances yeah. your life we think we think a relationship with Christ, many Catholics think, okay, what do I have to give up? Where you get to a point where you're able to switch that perspective and say, what am I, what do I gain actually? Well, and I think we got to look at it like that. I agree with you 100%. Two things. Number one, when I was, when I was studying like, or discerning to be a priest, I'm like sitting back and like, all I could think about was all I had to give up. I have to give up a wife. I have to give up a family. I have to give up whatever. Right. And then I'm sitting back and my spiritual director one day, he's like, why? He's like, why are you always looking at the negative? 
And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, there's a quote. He's like, one, this priest, great dude. He's like, one of my favorite quotes by Teresa Lasso. And, and the quote is, whenever God holds out his hand asking for something, his hand is never empty. And so what, what she meant by that is, if God's asking you to do something, he's not just going to rip and take away, right, until you yeah. do it. He's got something in his hand that he wants. So he wants to pull something out of your hand and give you this, which is so much better. But you have to be able to, to live in this area of surrender, which is what Therese did so well. Like, I trust you, God, which is the original sin, right? I won't mm -hmm. trust God. So that's, yeah, I think if we look at it from a very positive way, it's like, what am I going to gain from this? Like, that was, I mean, you think about the priesthood, right? Yeah, you got to give up a lot. But what are you going to gain? I mean, God is asking me, this loser from North Dakota, who is a moron for most of his life, he's asking this guy to lead his people. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And that's a huge gift, you know? And I don't think we understand either. I don't know. We had a meditation on our website a few weeks ago, and it was kind of in regards to and you, you kind of mentioned this in one of your talks that I listened to, but we're all given the grace to be saints. God obviously wants all of us to be saints. We're made to be saints, and it's our choice whether we're going to be saints or not. However, many of us are given kind of the grace to have the potential to be, whether the next St. Teresa or the next St. Peter, or whoever it may be, but we, there's this potential of being actually a great saint because there's always going to be great saints, hmm. but we don't we kind of live those mediocre lives a lot of times, mediocre Catholic lives. So we don't reach that potential of what, whether it be this saint or that saint. And so we aren't able to affect the souls that we would potentially affect. And we're going to be held accountable for that one day. Like you mentioned in one of your talks, you, you have to know God. You might know God, but do you know God? And if we don't know God truly, we can never love him. And that's ultimately going to lead to us going to hell. And at the end of our lives, we're going to be brought before the throne of God. And he's, he's either, either going to say, I know you not and depart from me. Or, I mean, if, if those words are said, then we're, we're going straight to hell. You know, if he doesn't see a reflection of himself in our soul, we're done with. And a lot of us are simply Sunday Catholics, which is probably just going to lead us to hell if on Sunday, that's the only time we practice our faith. And, if we're only Sunday Catholics and we're not even practicing our faith. So yeah, yeah I, that, I tell people that, that, you know, Sunday, Sunday mass is the minimum. Yeah. Not the maximum. I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm a Sunday mass Catholic. Like I'm a good Catholic. I'm like, you are doing the bare minimum of what's asked of you. But what you, something you mentioned that I was thinking about is like, you know, like you're standing before the judgment throne of God and you you're being held accountable for everything. You got to answer for everything. At the end of that, it's not like, it's not like God is going to be like, look, you little bastard, like it, go to hell. You know, I'm, I'm condemning you to hell. Like I, I really, I've been thinking about and praying this about this a lot. Like, I think that, you know, at the end of our lives, Jesus's arms are wide open on the cross. Right. And he's standing there and he's like, come to me, come to me. Do you love me? Right. That's the, I, the, the answer is going to be the question he gave to Peter at the end of John's gospel yeah. is going to be question he gives to every one of us do you love me yes lord i love you can you show me that you love me right and and that you know me because love and knowledge right in the scriptures 
they coincide. Knowledge within the scriptures is, is this understanding of intimacy, of, of communion, right? And so if we can say, yes, Lord, I love you, and I can show you that I loved you from my life, then heaven, we will want heaven. If we can't do that, we're not going to want to be to heaven. We will literally send ourselves to hell because of our choices, which is a freaky thing to think about. C.S. Lewis even talks about that. He says that the damned will want to be in hell. Like they will, they will have chosen to be there because of their life. God is going to give you at the end of your life what you love most. And if it's not him, it's not heaven. That's, it's as simple as that. So if you have something else at the center of your life, your work, the Green Bay Packers, hunting, shopping, whatever, like that is, you know, we, you laugh, but I mean, people, it's there true. are football teams and basketball teams that people know more about than they know about their faith. That means that that's more important to them than God. And if you want the Minnesota Vikings, the Green Bay Packers for the rest of your life, for all eternity, man, you're going to have a miserable existence. It's incredible how people are so absorbed in anything, but especially sports. Like, yeah. you know, ooh, we got to we gotta watch the game. So that means we're going to – we might have to leave early, mass early right. on Sunday because <laughs> right. we got to get the game. So it, it – I don't know. It just always shocks me. Uh, I read this book. It's called <laughs> Uncleaving to God. You might have heard of it, heard of it uh, by St. Albert the Great. Um, very short very simple but it's very like you can take your time with it i mean you can spend a long time on it because it's very meditative but in it he says like paraphrasing we become that which we love so the more we cling on to the creator the more of god we become so the more joyful we can become the more you know it just goes on and on but the more we cling on to created things whether that be hunting whether that be sports whatever that may be our job then the more godless we become and like you said at the end of the day that's what he, he god's gonna ask us do you love me prove it to me and then we're gonna look at our lives and seeing that we've only indulged in godless things you know we've never put god as the priority in our lives and then we will be held accountable for all those actions but it's interesting to see people they can't find that purpose they can't they don't, they don't have any purpose. And I always wonder, sometimes it's just an interesting thought, like all these movie stars and, you know, musicians and just even Catholics who have fallen away from their faith, especially Catholics who have fallen away from their faith. Do they not see that correlation between having no purpose and losing their faith? I mean, you hear a lot of confessions, you do conferences and things like that. Is that something, do they understand that, that correlation at all? Or I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to get people to see it. You know, if you live long enough in it, you begin to blame everybody else for your problems. Like, cause that's what you've been doing. And I, I mean, there's, there's part of it too. Like, you know, you're talking about hunting and fishing. I mean, you can see I have dead animals on my wallet. You can, you can do all of this stuff like yeah. March madness, right? We just had March madness. I was in a pool with my entire staff. You know, I ended up losing cause Duke lost. I was so mad. But like, and I, we had a blast with March Madness and, you know, somebody won like a hundred bucks or whatever, but now, but now basketball's over. Like, you know, like, and, and, and I didn't yeah. miss my holy hour and I didn't yeah. miss Sunday mass because of games. And when I hunt, like I love hunting, but God is first, you know? So like, 
we can't go hunting until we go to mass or we can't go hunting until I pray morning prayer. Yeah. And it's awesome because like, I'm not going to preach a prosperity gospel. There's, I don't believe in it, but there are often times where like, we're late, right? For so I don't know how much you know about, do you hunt? No. Okay. So like deer hunting, for example, like you got to be out early, right? Real early. Cause the deer are moving right at sunrise. So we were super late. And I'm like in the car and the guy, my, my buddy I hunt with, he's like, let's go, dude. And I'm like, I got to pray morning prayer. Like, and they're like, but the, the daylight, and I'm like, look, man, God's first. <laughs> yeah. So like he sits there all pissed off. We're praying morning prayer together. We get out of the vehicle. Now the sun is up. <clears throat> we get out of the vehicle and we walk over this hill. I'm not kidding you. In five minutes, we walked over this hill. There is a monster seven, eight by seven buck sitting on the opposite hill. Boom, shoot him, <laughs> game over. <clears throat> but here's the thing. If we would have gone prior to that without morning prayer, we would have gone over the hill. He wouldn't have been there yet. Yeah. And he would come over to scare him. So like, I'm just, I'm just giving examples, fun examples. It isn't always like that, <clears throat> but there are these times where like, you just got to make sure that God is first. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and it's so hard for people that have never lived that to start living it. But it's awesome when they do like, my brother has this uh, parishioner <clears throat> up in Minot and the guy just kind of started giving and he, my brother kind of convinced me, he's like, just give, like you, you're not going to outdo God in generosity. Mm-hmm. And the guy is a pretty wealthy guy. And he started giving and giving and giving. He kept giving more and more and more. And he's like, he came to him. He's like, father, I can't, I don't know how to explain this. He's like, I've given more in the past like three years than I've given in my entire life. And my business is doing better than it's ever done. He's like, and you know, my brother's like, yeah, it's because you can't outdo God. Like, go ahead. You can try, but, but, but you're not going to be able to. And, and that yeah. was like the catalyst for him to like, oh, maybe I should like make God part of my life. Like maybe it mm-hmm. will enhance my life a little bit, but I want to focus on one other thing too, because I'm talking a lot about like prosperity gospel. Okay. <clears throat> there is this other side. So two years ago in January, two and a half or whatever, my mom died. Okay, she died from uh, multiple myeloma cancer. My mom was a saint. I was super close. My brother and I, I mean, it broke us. <clears throat> it friggin' broke us. And uh, the only thing that literally got me through that was clinging to Jesus in the midst of tears and pain, like pain I've never experienced in my life before. Just hanging on to him and just trusting and having faith that I'm going to see my mother again. Like, it's going to be a little bit, but she was in a good place. She was a holy woman. If I finish the race well, mom and I are going to be back together. And letting Jesus convince me of that and being with him and staying with him. Like, I, I cannot get across to you the amount of pain that I went through yeah. in, those, in those months. But it was because of him that I hung on, right? It was because of my faith. And this is, so I was talking to this doctor because <clears throat> I went in. I was up, there was this this lady that was dying and I went up and I was, the whole family was up there and I was talking to the doctor and I'm like, doc, I don't know if people do this without faith. And he looked at me and this doctor, never forget. He said, father, they don't. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, they don't do it. He's like, they get divorced. They turn into alcoholics. They fight each other. There's lawyers. They sue each other. There's money. They end up hating each other. That rips families. He's like, I, he's like, I have watched death rip families apart. 
And he's like, and it's all because they have no faith. They don't know how to deal with death. They don't know where to go when death occurs. And yet this is the crazy part. The one fact that both you and I know for sure, it's really the only fact we know for sure, is we're going to die. And so how can that not be at the top of our list of saying, okay, I got to figure out some way to deal with this because it's coming. It's the only guarantee in life. It's coming for everybody. It's the great equalizer. I don't care if you're the president of the United States or, you know, poor in Africa or middle class in America. Yeah. Was there ever, I think a a lot of times people don't know how to deal with suffering or even in when you have extreme suffering, there is that temptation of you don't want to pray. You, you kind of take it out on God in a sense. Was there at all that temptation at some, sometimes kind Mm -hmm. of like, ah, it's, you know, you don't want to do your duties because you're in a sense mad at him for taking something that technically I know isn't yours. But in those moments, I feel like people do get a bit more selfish when they're experiencing pain and they want to blame it on someone. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, ne- I never experienced that. And I, I, cause I, like I said, I mean, death is just, it's a reality. So like, yeah, I've talked to people like, you know, they say, well, you know, when, when my dad died, my faith died. And, you know, part of me just wants to look at it and be like, well, what did, what did you think was going to happen? Like, yeah. did you think that your dad was going to be the only one to defy death? And he's like, yeah, but why didn't God answer that prayer? And I'm like, well, maybe God did answer your prayers. You're just looking for your answer and not yeah. his answer. Yeah. Right? Your and answer heals at the same time. Like, like you said, it, death is guaranteed. So, okay, he can answer your prayer that your father will survive this sickness. But eventually, yeah. God can't answer that prayer. Any, I mean, like in the sense that he needs. To, he, he, we're all meant for eternity, whether it's heaven or hell. So, right. at some point, we're going to die. And my my, uh, my favorite my favorite story to tell with that is like I have laughed so hard about this numerous times. Like in my prayer, I always try to rebuild the scene and like put myself into it. Right. It's called composition of place or imaginative prayer. And the one that gets me every time is Lazarus. So like I'm sitting there, right? And I'm like, watch, Lazarus is dead. Okay, Jesus brings him back from death, which is like the greatest miracle in the New Testament. And then like, I just, I'm just imagine this scene, okay? So that night it's supper time and Lazarus is sitting at the dinner table with Martha and Mary and Jesus. And he's got to be like, what the heck? Like, (laughs) I was dead, man. And now I got to die again. I got to go through the whole dying process again because you rose me from the dead. Imagine that. Lazarus is the only person to ever die twice. (laughs) That's true. And so that's the point. Like, if you, yeah, if if, if God cures your grandpa of, of cancer and what? Is, is one year extra life, is that enough? Or is two years or is five years? Or what if grandpa then gets hit by a car and dies in a massive car accident? What, is your faith gone then? Yeah. Like when, when is that going to be, when is that going to be good enough? And it's not, and it'll never be good enough. That's why he says, like, when, you know, when Jesus is telling the story about Abraham and the, and the rich man, right? And, and, the, and the poor man, he says, Oh, Father Abraham, if a man would rise from the dead, they would surely believe. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Abraham says they have the scriptures. 
And if they won't believe the scriptures, they won't even believe a man rising from the dead. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens, right? Jesus rises from the dead and the Pharisees still don't believe. Yeah. And we think that, yeah, we think that, oh, something extraordinary is going to really make us practice our faith or whatever it may be. But my friend and I were talking about this a week or so ago. And he was saying, he's like, Joe, if we were back, people think they're so much better than people that lived back then. If we lived in Christ's time, we would have been denying Christ. We would have been doing this, doing that. The very, very low chance that we would have been, you know, St. John who, who stood by Christ with Our Lady the whole time. Very low chance. So I think, you know, like you just said, well, if, if you heal, if you bring a person back to life, they'll definitely think you're God. It's like, no, right. no matter what he did, they, he rose again. And they still were like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. You know, they tried to somehow weave around well, that he was God. And that's the thing. Like, I, I think like one of my greatest moments in my discernment process, there was this guy, his name is Father Paul Dukesher. He's a priest in the Fargo Diocese. I was at North Dakota State University. Go Bison, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, when I was there and I was having my conversion, I remember I was sitting with him and I was like, Father, I had some pretty extreme like things that happened to me in my vocation, yeah. really extreme. And I mean, God had to really knock on the wall, like bust the wall down in order to get through to me. And like, I was talking to him, like, I'm like, Father, if I could just get one more sign, like I would, I, I would, I would do it. I would, I, if I just give me one more sign, I will, I will join the seminary. And this priest, Father Paul looked at me. He's like, no, I'm like, what? He's like, no, you don't need any more signs. He said, what you need is faith to believe the signs that have already been given. Yeah. And that, that was the greatest line because it's so true because no sign will ever be enough. There has to be a point where you're like, okay, I'm going to jump. I'm going to take the leap. I mean, there's enough there to give me some type of moral certitude that it's that he's he's waiting for me when I jump, but I, I can't see him, and I have to jump. That's why we call it faith. Yeah, you have to trust. You have to trust that what's happening, you know, it, it it's something that we might not want to hear, but it's good for us. Right. You know, providence. What happens in our lives, we might not like. It, it might be a death in the family. Um, we might not get the job we want or whatever it may be, it's problems. You, right. At the end of the day, I remember one time my special director told me, he said, listen, because I was asking him about something. He said, if, you're, if you go 100% in something and it doesn't happen, why are you worrying? Like you shouldn't right. worry at all. And I, I think it's Fulton Sheen who says like anxiety or worry is, is a kind of atheism in a sense, because if you're actually practicing your faith, you're going hundred percent in your spiritual life, hundred percent in your physical life, hundred percent in your mental life, reading and things like that, whatever happens, happens it's out of your control. So just control the things you can control. And that's just your daily duty. And whatever else happens, you kind of just have to say, well, God wills it, you know, you, you just can't do anything about it. So I've kind of got, to, I mean, I'm very gotten in the practice of kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I think some people are like, how are you, how do you do that? Like, you don't really worry about stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I really tried to do this. I really tried to do that to the best of my ability. So it didn't happen. So clearly God doesn't want this to happen right now. Right. Uh, but, but having that trust, I think is very difficult and putting God first and everything is, is just extremely difficult for people. 
And it comes back to, you know, you said God first. And that's kind of something that, you know, we even have that on one of our hoodies because it's very difficult to do. And people think, well, if I have to put God first, then everything else has to go. It's like, no, like you said, you can watch a basketball game. You can enjoy the things of life as long as you have them in moderation, as long as God is a per- the priority, you know? Yeah, I'd love to go out with you right now, but I got to finish these prayers first because that's my duty. You know, there's nothing, I mean, I can't think of anything purely evil in this world. I don't think there is anything purely right. evil in this <laughs> right. world unless it's been, you know, you're doing it inordinately. Like our phone is, there, there's nothing wrong with this as long as we're using it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a difficult part. And I don't know, getting people to understand that. And I, I guess you did give a good explanation of how you kind of get young adults to understand that. <clears throat> but um, I don't know, I, I would like to know, have you noticed what kind of changes, I guess, for the better, have you kind of seen in young Catholic adults in the past, what are five or 10 years? Like obviously technology, like you said, you're, you're talking to eighth graders who are having these weird relationship problems. So there's obviously a lot of, not good things going on but have you seen like a something i don't know good from young adults that really weren't there a few years ago maybe well i mean i don't yeah i don't know about a few years ago or whatever but the the good that i see is is like they know that they're being fed a bunch of garbage yeah they know it it i mean they're addicted to it and they give into it um and so what i've noticed is like it's kind of the answer of the early church, you know, like <clears throat> how did, how did conversion happen in the early church? Well, the, the way it didn't happen was through CCD programs. Uh, it didn't happen. It didn't even happen through seminaries. It didn't happen through, you know, programs within the parish and stewardship outreach and all this BS. It happened when John and Alex were good buddies and they got in touch with, josh and showed him what it was like to live for jesus and that and and josh saw that they had something and wanted it that's how it happened right there was i don't remember who said it but they said a christian is somebody who has met another christian oftentimes right because we're the billboards for christ we're the ambassadors for christ and so my line that i kind of live by one of them is conviction converts And what I mean by that is if you really, really believe it, not just faking it, not just pretending, but really believe it and you really live it, you really try to, I mean, I, I suck at it, but I try that that will convert hearts. And what I've seen is, is that just by living the faith and, and trying to do it to the best of my ability and being joyful about it, that like when kids see that they want it. The classic example is, so my confirmation, the same, the, 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 the confirmation class I hear, have here at the parish. Mm-hmm. So there's 30 some kids, right? When we started and I was, I was talking all about prayer and like how I pray. And like these two girls approached me after class and said, would you teach us how to pray? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you have to come early. So 640, you know, we start faith formation at seven. I said, 640, come to the church. So they came and the next week four came. And the next week, eight came. And the next week, 12 came. We had a point where there were like 15 that came, half the class, just to learn how to pray. Yeah. Because they saw that some, I had something and they wanted it. 
And when they finally figured out that it wasn't coffee, you know, it was like, or espresso, you know, like that got me so jacked. It was this, it was this love of Christ. That's what they wanted. I mean, that's what got me when I was in high school there. We had two priests, father Austin Vetter and father Tom Richter. They were just so fun and normal. And I always had a good time when I hung out with them and I never felt bad about myself afterwards. And I was like, what do they have? And the answer is Jesus. Like they have a relationship with Jesus and I want that. And it ended up converting my whole life. And now I'm a priest. And they're my brother. It's interesting how that works. Like priests that have had the least impact on me are priests that really don't get involved with souls or don't really, they aren't the ones that are like, you can't do that. You know, they won't get, they won't get mad at you for doing something wrong. They'll kind of be like, well, you chose for yourself, you know? And like the priests that really have had the most impact on me are the ones that are like, they'll call you out for anything. You know, if they realize you did something wrong, they'll call you out for it or they'll help friends do that as well. So I think, I think that's something that we're missing in, in today's Catholic world. Um, And, you know, just people holding each other accountable, whether that be lay Catholics or Catholic clergy as well. I think it's very difficult to, like you said, I mean, I, I think a lot of public figures in the Catholic church, you know, aren't really holding people accountable as they should be a lot of the times. And so we look and we don't see an authentic faith a lot of times. And so people are like, well, why am I going to be part of this? But then you see like a priest who's really living the faith. And then it kind of is rekindled in your soul, you know? So it's, it's interesting how much of an impact you can actually have on someone if you have that conviction, because, you know, if it works on me, then, well, then if I'm going to live my face to the best of my abilities, it's definitely going to work on other people as well. Right. And that's something I think that we don't really, I don't think we really ever think about it that much. Like our impact on other souls, whether they be Catholic or not, we're always going to have an impact on a soul for the good or for the worse, just because that's how it is. We either affect someone in a good way, even if it's really small, we'll have an impact. I agree. Yeah, it's powerful stuff, man. It's just got to get, it's, it's convinced. I mean, the world is such a loud voice right now and, and everybody's so plugged into it. that it, it's, I, uh, it's hard. You have to almost, you almost like really have to get, I try to get kids to unplug, you know, for Lent, just to give up social media. Yeah. And so, just, live a little man just live (laughs) yeah so for uh like a solution in regards to i don't know catholics prioritizing god again and um kind of getting back to their faith especially as this is the last week of lent i mean people really need to go strong especially during holy week but what would be your one set i mean you kind of just gave a suggestion there but maybe if you want to go in on that um your one suggestion of kind of getting catholics especially you know young adults getting them back into the faith or getting them back to prioritize god um whether that be unplugging or whatever 15 minutes of prayer that's i mean i you start small you start with one thing you know if you start too big you're just going to crash and burn and get discouraged i just say 15 minutes of prayer a day preferably before the blessed sacrament in the chat church if you can or adoration um but 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 15 minutes and, and part of that's with God's word. Um, and all of it is in silence. Like don't pull up a podcast and listen to it. Don't 
grab your spiritual reading and start reading like grab the bible get god that's god's word like that's how he speaks one of the ways he speaks to us spend a few you know five minutes with that and then just sit and and ask god to love you and and open your heart and and beg for the holy spirit to fill you with his love and like and you stay to it you got to be so intentional about it because everybody's vying for time you know there's so many voices right now vying for time and if you're not intentional about it, you'll, you'll do it for a week and you'll shut it down. Like if there's, if there is one thing that has grounded me in my priesthood. It's, it's my holy hour. I pray a holy hour every day. Um, sometimes that that's it, you know, 12 o'clock midnight because my day has been just crazy. And I, but I'm still there. Like drag my butt to the chapel yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I'm like, Lord, I got nothing. I'm just here. Cause I love you. And, and I, and I, and I need you without you, I'm never going to make it. And if I quit praying, I would at best, at best be like a business priest, you know, like a CEO yeah. of a corporation at worst, I would leave the priesthood. The thing that, the thing that holds me and grounds me is just rallying close to the heart of Christ, like every day. Um, and especially with in the, you know, in the priesthood, like we deal with a lot of messy stuff, you know, like day in, day out, it's a lot of bad news. Like very few times, is my phone ring and they're like, Father, guess what? My life's awesome. I just wanted to tell you, you know, hope your day is great. See ya. You know, like every time my phone rings, it's tragedy or yeah. struggling or, and so like that can get really heavy. That's why Jesus says, come to me, you who are burdened, right? And I will give you rest, but you have to come to him. And if you want the rest, if you want the peace that is in the heart of people that believe and are full of joy, it only comes from him. And relationships take time. They take a lot of time. And it's going to be hard at first because we're so distracted. Yeah. The world's got so many, so many things going on in our head and you just got to stick to it. And if you do, you'll eventually realize you're not as alone as you thought you were. That there's that, that tiny voice, right? That whispering voice mm-hmm. that we hear in the Old Testament. God is speaking far beyond that noisy place. And he's speaking directly to your heart. And you're not alone. And that's what gives meaning. Coming full circle. The nuns, they have no meaning because they think they're alone. We have immense hope because we're never alone. He's always with us. Well, Father, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great speaking with you. I feel like we're going to do it again. I feel like we had a really good conversation here. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, until next time.